This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. So as tax season finally comes to an end, I wanted to share some tips today on how to set money aside throughout the year to avoid that big cash hit come tax day. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Hey, did you know Napatrax has on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn more about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S.com. So here we are at the end of taxis, and hopefully you've already made a big payment to the IRS or you're about to. Everyone wants to pay tax, actually, yet no one likes to pay tax. How does that make sense? I always tell people this, and they always say, well, hunt, no, I don't want to pay any tax. And I say, no, I assure you that you do. If you don't pay any tax, then that probably means you're not making any profit or not enough profit. But the actual idea of paying that tax and stroking that check is usually enough to make your stomach turn, especially if you don't have that money. The biggest comment that I have from my clients is, where am I supposed to get this money from? And a lot of people do not take into consideration taxes when setting aside their cash and are left scrambling to pay a big tax bill at the end of a strong year or, God forbid, like I said, of not having that money available. Time and time again, I see clients where, you know, they make four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year and don't set any money aside. Don't make the estimates that we talk about and have a monstrous shock when we tell them, hey, you owe eighty thousand dollars. What? How is this possible? Well, you didn't make any estimated tax payments throughout the year and you're extremely profitable. And so the IRS or the state is going to want their cut. And whether you are paying quarterly estimates throughout the year or just saving for these quarterlies at the end of the year, or maybe you just like to pay a little bit more withholding, there's things that could make your life easier and less stressful that I would like to share with you this week. One big thing that I would like to talk about is you can use your business to pay your taxes or you can pay them with personal funds. And if you're the single owner or it's just you and your spouse that own your business, whether you're using your own money, your business's money, it's really all coming from the same place. So I always have my clients ask me this. Can I use my business to pay for this or does it have to be a personal check? The IRS does not care whose name is on that check. Could be your check, could be your mom's check, could be your cousin's check, could be your business check. As long as it's sent to the IRS in the correct format so that they know where to apply this, the IRS does not care where you're paying this money out of. Now, does that mean that if we pay it out of the business that we get a tax deduction for it? No, we do not get a tax deduction for paying federal income tax on our business. What we would be doing there is we would be classifying that as a distribution. Now, compared to that, if you were to pay that with your personal account. So you could take money out of the business, take a distribution, write yourself a personal check, and then turn around and use your personal funds to pay your tax bill. Now, what a lot of my clients do is skip that middleman and say, hey, instead of distributing 10 grand for me to turn around and pay that 10 grand to the IRS, why don't I just pay that 10 grand directly from my business to the IRS? Classify as a distribution, skipping that middle step. Perfectly allowable. IRS does not care. It's not commingling funds. It's just kind of saving you a little bit of legwork and a little bit of paperwork there. Completely okay. And I recommend my clients do this. 
especially if you're one that doesn't like to take that much cash out of a business anyways, right? A lot of times I have people saying, well, I don't have any of that money, but you do. It's all in your business. You got a couple hundred thousand dollars in your business. The business is one that more or less created this tax bill. Why not use the business cash to pay for this tax bill? Again, not a deduction for you, but not income to you either when you take that distribution out. Remember, we pay tax on profit, not what we do with that profit or taking that cash out of the business. Now, it's really simple for you know truly closely held businesses where it's just you or your direct family members owning this because there is no sort of different situations on any of the shareholders. It's either one shareholder or husband and wife, which look like one shareholder for the IRS purposes. Now, what happens if you have multiple shareholders, whether you have two unrelated partners in this or maybe brothers, sisters, whatever the case may be? Now, in this case, you can still pay taxes out of the business. But the tricky part here is if you have people that file different personal tax returns, because remember, this business all flows through to your personal taxes and you pay the taxes personally, you're probably going to have different tax rates, right? And let's talk about a partnership where one partner is married with two kids and the other partner is unmarried, doesn't have any children. The person that's married with two kids is probably going to have a lower tax bill than the other one. So how do you distribute money in a fair way to make sure that no one is getting kind of an unnecessary shortfall of this, but you also distribute enough money to make sure that you can cover your partner's tax bills? What I always tell people to do is distribute enough money to cover the highest tax bill of your shareholders. Right. So let's say that you have three shareholders and one of them has a $15,000 tax bill. Another one has a $20,000 tax bill and another one has a $25,000 tax bill. So what you would do, and as long as the business had the cash to do so, is you would distribute enough that it would cover the highest tax bill. So let's imagine in this case, you know, we have a fifteen dollars to $25,000 tax bill for our three shareholders. Each of them all owns a third of the business, so that distributions need to be equal for those three partners. So what you would do is instead of giving 15, 20, and 25, which would not have all equal distributions there, you would say, hey, each of you shareholders is going to get a distribution for $25,000. This should be enough money for the you know most expensive tax bill of our shareholder. And then the other two people are going to be able to pay their tax bill and be able to pocket the difference on it. What that does is not only has equal distributions like we want to see, hey, everyone's getting an equal benefit out of this business, but also covering the higher tax bill for maybe that partner that is unmarried or some other income coming in there, which is kind of pushing up their tax rates or lowering their deductions. So really good idea, really easy to do. And if you have the cash to do so, it is very good. Now, if you don't have the cash to do so, then maybe the business is not going to be able to cover the entire amount. Maybe the business says, hey, you know what? We don't have $75,000 to give out to our partners. We do have 60000 So each of you guys can get twenty, which means that two of you will have enough money to cover your tax bill. The third, you'll be a little bit short, but you only have to come out of pocket 5000 What we're going to talk about later in this episode is how to avoid that, how to make sure that we don't have that shortfall, that we don't have that surprise at the end of the year. And really, overall, the reason that so many self-employed people get into trouble with taxes is that you're not forced to pay anything during the year. You should, you need to be, but the IRS is not requiring it where they're actually going to take it out of your business. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, Hunt, they don't really force you to do this in any way. And if you're saying that, that means that you probably haven't been an employee for a very long time. 
But think about this situation because I see this all the time. I got a business that maybe makes, you know, $100,000 in profit and they are shocked that they have a $25,000 tax bill. Well, what do you mean, hon? I'm only working for the government. It seems like all my money is going to taxes. But that's actually not the case whatsoever. And being self-employed allows us to deduct a lot of things that people that work for someone else are not able to. But the thing is, is it's just different because it's one large thing at the end of the year compared to what would be happening for withholding. So let's kind of have those two different scenarios. Let's say that you make $100,000 on payroll or you make $100,000 through your business. So if you make $100,000 on payroll, you would never expect to get, you know, all that $100,000 in your net check. I mean, let's be realistic here. Best case scenario, if you had $100,000 in payroll, you probably get a $75,000 net check. Now that has $25,000 going to federal withholding, payroll tax, state income tax as well. But you should have enough there withheld that you don't have a big tax bill at the end of the year. Like we talked about in a couple previous episodes, sometimes the withholding tables are better than other. If you're single and you fill out your W-4 right, it's almost always going to have enough in there so that you don't have a balance due. And if you do have a balance due, it's going to be pretty minimal. Now, on the other hand of this, let's say you're self-employed and you don't pay any estimates throughout the year. If you have $100,000 in profit, you're probably going to have a $25,000 tax bill at the end of the year. If you aren't careful with your cash, if you're not planning ahead and setting this money aside, that can be catastrophic to a small business, right? That is a lot of money to just be coming out of pocket once and God forbid you don't have enough money and now we're behind on our taxes. IRS is charging us interest. IRS is sending us really scary and nasty letters. It is just something that we want to avoid. Those of you that have been in that situation usually make this mistake once and then start to be a little bit more conservative going forward. Now, some of my clients really are afraid of owing taxes and, you know, maybe had gotten into trouble in the past by showing too much profit that they didn't, you know, weren't diligent enough of setting money aside or paying in estimates. And so what these people do is they end up taking a much higher amount on payroll. Hey, instead of making, you know, $100,000 in profit, and only taking out $50,000 in wages, maybe I'll take out $150,000 in wages, which will have withholdings against it, and the business is actually going to show zero profit. So while it is a good way to make sure that you don't have a tax bill at the end of the year, it is actually a very bad strategy over, you know, when we factor in the overall cost of this. Business profits are taxed at a lower rate than W-2 income. So this right off the bat, we know that we're already going to be paying more in taxes because even though it's still $150,000 of profit spread between wages and business income, if that's all on W-2, it's going to be taxed at a higher rate. Another downside to this is all of that will be subject to payroll taxes payroll tax, whether you're a sole proprietor that pays self-employment tax, or if you have all of this money on payroll, you're going to be paying about an extra 15% for the Social Security and Medicare. So remember, we always talk about for S-Corps, you know, paying yourself a fair and reasonable wage, but not too much on this. You might be saving yourself on taxes. And if you really aren't disciplined, if you don't, you know, trust yourself in setting money aside, I would still much rather a client, you know, pay too much on W-2 so that they don't have that end of year tax bill or get behind on taxes than to try and be too aggressive and end up having a large balance due, even if you are saving payroll tax. So not advisable, but if it's your only option and you want to be absolutely sure that you're not going to owe any tax, then yeah, you can do it. I would be very careful with this one. 
don't jack up that payroll so high because that could honestly be a cash crunch on your business to be taking out that high of a salary every single week. And if you take out that much in a salary every single week and the business is short on money, now you have to put money back into the business that you already paid tax and payroll tax on. So don't like it, but it is out there. And for some of you that are doing it, maybe that gives you a little bit of background on, hey, it is okay. You're going to avoid one problem, but you might be creating some more problems or just costing yourself more money. Let's face it. Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. You need Napa Tracks because it integrates with all the major players, including Napa ProLink, PartsTech, OE RepairLink, Epicor, TireConnect, Mitchell One Pro Demand, and more. Napa Tracks has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Your training includes a learning management system that is tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. For over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatracks.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. So if you don't want us to pay it all through payroll and get rid of all of our profits, what are the major ways that people avoid this end of year surprise? So there's really three major ways to do this. Now, the first of which is going to be to increase your withholdings. Even though we just talked about before, we don't want to take more money on payroll. We can actually maximize what we're doing with our current payroll to avoid having to pay quarterly estimates or maybe just lowering down the amount of quarterly estimates. Essentially, you know, if we have these first two, which is either increasing your withholdings or paying quarterly estimates, if you pay in the same amount, it is going to be the exact same effect at the end of the year. The difference is, is by paying a little bit more in withholdings, we're essentially paying our quarterly estimates 52 times throughout the year, right? Instead of making four larger payments every single week, we're going to be paying a little bit extra into federal withholding and or state withholding as well. Let's use an example of, you know, kind of a classical S corporation. So S corporation business, business is showing profits. You're doing the right thing by taking out about $70,000 on wages. If you're self-employed, I always tell you to set up your withholding at single zero, right? I want it to be the standard highest amount that I possibly can. Why? Because it will be enough to cover your wages and will probably already be a little bit too much which should hopefully lower down your balance due on the business showing profit. So if you have $70,000 on wages, I would imagine that your net checks throughout the year work out to be about 50,000 bucks or about $1,000 a week in your net check. So that means that we have about $1,000 that we can play around with. And what a lot of my clients do here is they actually end up receiving no net checks. They take $70,000 on wages, but instead of having a $50,000 net check that actually gets deposited, they increase their federal and state withholding. And so if we have $50,000 in net checks, we could throw an extra $35,000 to the Fed and we could put the remaining $15,000 to our state balance due. Now, all of this has to have some planning. You need to kind of see what you're estimating for your upcoming taxes and figure out the best way to kind of mess around with this. 
Because like I said, I do not want to increase my payroll amount, right? My gross wages. I don't want to take it from 70000 to 140000 just to pay in more withholdings because we're paying those payroll taxes that we want to avoid, right? So if you're looking at this and you say, hey, I'm already taking you know $70,000 in wages. I got $50,000 that I can increase my withholdings on, but that's not going to be enough. Then just pay the remaining different in quarterly estimates. Do not increase your wages anymore. Also, if you're already taking, if you're already maxing out your retirement, you might not have that much more in net checks available. If you have your 401k, instead of having $50,000 in net checks, you maybe only have 30000 But it's still going to be a little bit easier to put a little bit in each and every week so that you can get rid of those quarterlies or maybe lower them down a good bit. So no matter if you're doing this weekly or biweekly, what this is doing is taking what would be a very large balance paid once in April and making it even smaller than doing it quarterly throughout the year because we will be paying in a little bit extra each and every week throughout the year. Now, easiest way to do this is don't go mess around with your exemptions. Don't go mess around with your filing status. You can just go in and if you're doing this through QuickBooks, you can actually just add an override amount. And so if you look and you see your net checks every single week are a thousand and you want it all going to Uncle Sam, then just add an extra thousand dollars a week in withholding. Now you can't have your payroll check go to zero. So sometimes it takes a little bit of playing around. And if you're left over with a dollar check or a couple cents, it's still going to direct deposit. Just got to make sure it's not going negative or else it will give you an error. If you are using a payroll company, all you got to do is call in and say, hey, this is how much extra I want on my paycheck every week going to the Fed or going to the state. And you are all set. Now, this is a way to, like I said, pay in a little bit each and every week. And if you have enough withholding available, you might be able to avoid quarterly taxes altogether. But if you're making a good bit of money or you don't have that much in net checks, you probably are still going to have to pay quarterly estimates throughout the year. And what those quarterly estimates are is April, June, September, and January. And in the state, sometimes that January payment is in December. But essentially, every quarter, you're going to give the government a quarter of the balance due, right? Hey, guys, I'm going to owe you $40,000 come April if I don't put anything aside. So what I'm going to do is going to give you $10,000 each quarter, and then I'll have paid the $40,000 once it comes in. So we're satisfying our requirements. We're eliminating the balance due towards the end of the year, but we still have a pretty big hit because we're only paying this four times throughout the year versus a little bit each and every week, like something like withholding. Now, if your withholdings are not going to be enough and you need to make quarterly estimates, or maybe you're not doing your with, you're increasing the withholdings for whatever reason, you just want to pay quarterly estimates. We still need to be setting money aside because it's not a very frequent thing. If you don't have any money set aside, then paying maybe ten dollars or $15,000 four times throughout the year could be a big hit to cash and a similar thing of having that big hit at the end of the year. So what I tell people to do is to set money aside in a savings account so that you are already saving these quarterlies. So that when you have that June payment, you're not scrambling or pulling money out of your operating. You've already had this set aside. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, hon, I'm just going to set this aside. I'm not going to mess with withholdings or quarterly estimates. You have to remember that the IRS will actually penalize you if you don't pay your estimates throughout the year. And so what the IRS says is as long as you pay 110% of your last year's tax liability, you will not be charged for underpayment. So no, it's not how much you owe. 
after your withholdings, it's how much your actual tax amount is. And if you look on your tax return, you'll see a line on the second page of your personal taxes, which says total tax. So if your total tax is $40,000, you need to pay in $44,000 throughout the year so that you avoid this underpayment. And ideally, the IRS wants that split up equally throughout the year. $11,000 each and every quarter will satisfy that $44,000. Now, if you came up short or you weren't doing estimates throughout the year and you still owe the IRS an extra $30,000 come April, yes, you're going to have to pay that. But no, there's not going to be any sort of underpayment. Now, let's imagine that you have a $20,000 balance due come April and you didn't give them any money throughout the year. Is this going to cost you $15,000 extra? No, it's it's not the biggest penalty on it, but I would say it's probably going to cost you an extra couple hundred bucks because the IRS doesn't want you to just pay that all once the end of the year. They want that throughout the year. Now, this can also be combined with strategy one and strategy two, right, of increasing your withholdings and paying quarterly estimates. So if you want to combine this with your withholdings, what a lot of people do is they say, hey, you know what, I'm paying in a good bit already through my withholdings, but you know what, I just want to be extra cautious. I don't want to mess with quarterlies or maybe the profit is going to be too hard to estimate what it's really going to come into because there's a lot of swings to this business and it's not an equal one twelfth throughout the year. A lot of people still say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get a good chunk in there, but I want to set some more money aside, right? So let's say that I'm going to give them an extra 35 grand already through withholding, but I want to have an extra 25,000 just in case. So what I would do is I would say, all right, I'm going to set aside $500 a week. I'm going to take it out of my operating. I'm going to put it into a savings account or maybe a specific tax savings account. That way that every single week you're setting $500 aside, by the end of the year, you'll have an extra $25,000, which hopefully should cover any shortfall that you missed with the withholdings. You could also combine this with your sales tax account, right? If you already have a savings or separate account set up to save your money for your sales tax, instead of you know transferring over just whatever sales tax you collected that week, add an extra amount on there. Because not only will that be enough to cover your sales tax, it'll also leave that overages to be able to pay your income tax at the end of the year as well. Now, how we combine this with our quarterly estimates is very similar, but it's a little bit different because we still have these four larger balances due throughout the year. So what I always have people say is, Hunt, even though this is easier than paying it just once, these four large payments are still a pretty big hit to my cash. How can I set this money aside so that it's not a huge draw? And so what I would do there is a very similar situation. We know we're going to be paying $10,000 a quarter or $40,000 throughout the year. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start on January 1st and I'm going to set $1,000 aside and put that into that tax savings account. That means come April, when that first balance is due, I have to pay in the government $10,000, but I probably already have fifteen dollars or $20,000 in that tax savings account. So since you're setting money aside $1,000 every single week, you're not going to have that cash hit because it's already set aside there. And again, I'm going to go overboard on this one, right? I'm always going to try and set a little bit more aside. So I'm not going to try and set aside just exactly 40,000. And you know, in this case, a thousand bucks a week, I'm setting aside 52 grand for the year, enough to pay my estimates and have a little bit left over. If you do not know how much you are going to owe in taxes 
first and foremost, I got to tell you, you got to need to be planning with your accountant, right? You need to talk to them and say, hey, how much money should I set aside? Pretty quickly, they should give you a general idea. If taxes are not done, it might be hard to give you a certain amount, but probably could say, hey, for the time being, set an extra 200 bucks, set an extra 800 bucks aside. And then when the taxes are all done, do a really good estimate. Now, if you're not working with a good accountant or just want a kind of general rule of thumb for something just for kind of informational purposes, usually about 5% of your sales is a pretty good target for businesses. Is that guaranteeing that you're going to set aside enough? No, but it's going to be probably pretty darn close. And if you want to know where that 5% comes from is we are setting or we are shooting for about a a 20% profit margin, meaning that if our sales come through, we would hope that about 20% of that turn into profit. So if 20% of our sales are turning into profit, and if we estimate about a 25% tax rate, that means that we actually need to be setting aside 25% of that 20% profit, which is where we get that 5% figure. Right. So if you're making a million dollars a year, should be saving about 50 grand for your end of year income taxes. Now, if your income is low, that's probably going to be too much. If your income is really high, that's probably not going to be enough. So 5% is a good rule of thumb. Does not mean that it's going to work for every single person, but it's a very, very good place to start. Biggest thing here is always set aside more than you think. You're not only saving taxes, but hopefully saving some profits there as well. And I always tell my clients, wouldn't you rather me call you up and say, hello, Mr. Mrs. Client, you're all done for the year and you're getting back $10,000. And maybe we don't even refund that $10,000. We just say, hey, we're going to apply that to next year to be able to reduce your quarterly estimates or maybe even eliminate your quarterly estimates altogether. Isn't that a lot nicer situation than thinking that you're perfectly okay for taxes and getting a surprise slap in the face of, hey, you paid in all the quarterlies, you paid in all the withholdings, and you're still 10 grand short, right? So always be conservative whenever we're doing tax estimates. I'm usually giving clients worst case scenario because we always want to surprise on the low side, not the high side. And also, like I said before, of let's say that, you know, it's not just overpaying on your estimates, which we could either get refunded or apply to next year. But what happens if you're setting money aside in that tax savings account and you still have money left over? Then you can take that out as a draw, right? Hey, I set aside 40 grand. I only needed 20 of it for taxes. That $20,000 is yours, right? Taking on the distribution. That's your profits. You essentially set aside too much of your profits thinking it would go to the tax man, but you had a tax refund or a shortfall that worked in your favor. Another thing that you can do is if you don't really need that or don't want to take that out personally, that's going to be your beginning balance on your tax savings account this year. So that might mean that instead of taking $800 a week and transferring it, you might need to only do 200. Again, being overpaid or, you know, having a surplus in your tax savings is always 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 a good thing. So Hunt, this is great, but what happens if I don't have the money? I know it. This is going to be good for the future, but I'm sitting here right now and I know I'm going to be short on taxes. I already got the news and I am short on the taxes. What do I need to do? Biggest thing here is the IRS is the worst bank to owe money to. They're the worst creditor because not only did they charge you interest and penalties, they're about nastier and have more power than any bank out there. And so I'd rather owe money to just about any bank than the IRS. Even if that bank is going to be slightly higher interest, I don't want to owe the IRS money. It is never, ever a good thing. 
So if I have a balance due and I have availability to borrow some money, I'm going to do that. I would rather be paying back, you know, Wells Fargo than be paying back Uncle Sam. Now, just be careful because I don't want to go crazy. The IRS has pretty high interest rates for underpaid taxes, usually works out to be about 15%. Now, does that mean that I would go out and get a 25% hard money or credit card advance to pay off this? No, because that's still really, really expensive and we're just paying way too much in interest. But if I have something that's maybe 17% compared to 15% for the IRS, I'm really going to make a strong consideration to borrow that money just so I don't have to deal with them, you know, looking over my shoulder or being involved in my business. And maybe you not only owe money to the Fed, but maybe you owe money to the state as well. What I always say is I don't want to owe money to two people. If I can knock one of them out, I'm going to do that. Going to simplify my life, going to save, end up saving me money probably in penalties and interest as well. And in most cases, I would rather owe money to the state than the IRS. However, most of the time, the state balance due is lower than the IRS. So if I'm given an either or, I'm going to pay off the IRS balance in full, then tackle this state. If you only have enough to pay the lower state amount, then do that. Don't partial pay both of them, right? If you have the money to knock out one of them, do it. And ideally, it's the IRS. Generally, the state is a little bit easier to deal with. They're willing to negotiate on penalties and interest. And paying off the IRS is going to save you a lot of headache. Now, what happens if you don't have access to borrow money or it's just too much and you're saying, hey, I need some time to get caught up on this. I'm going to be able to give the state or the IRS their money, but I need a payment plan. So let's say here you are in April and you're $20,000 short and you think that you can knock it out in the next four months. Give them, you know, five grand a month for the next four months, whether that's the IRS or the state. If you're going to be able to knock it off in pretty quick succession here, then do not worry about setting up a payment plan. The IRS is going to send you letters. Hey, you're underpaid on this, but they're not going to get mad. They're not going to take collection actions. Generally, collection actions really only start after a couple of years. They'll send you a lot of mean letters before they start getting too nasty. The worst thing you can do with IRS letters is ignore them. Right. If you call them up and say, hey, I'm trying to get my stuff together. I'm trying to plan for this. Can you give me a little bit more time to figure out what I want to do? They are pretty reasonable. Now, if you ignore them, that's when they get nasty. The people that have had IRS agents come in with guns or levy accounts or, you know, freeze bank accounts. Those are the people that just disregarded the IRS. The IRS thinks that you're deliberately ignoring them or trying to get out of this. They get real nasty real quick. Don't bury your head in the sand. Make sure you're talking to them, making sure that you're filling them in. Do you have to be 100% truthful? Mm, Yes, right? I got to technically tell you yes, but just let them know that you're working on this and they'll give you an extended deadline to get this handled. Now, if you do not think you're going to be paid off in the next six months, 12 months, you're going to need some more time. You can set up payment plan with the IRS or the state. And then depending on the amount, this is something that you can call and do yourself, but it can be a little bit tricky. And generally, you have to pay someone like myself to do that for you. And that's why I said, if it's going to be a quick payoff, don't pay someone else to do this. Just pay the IRS in a couple months because you're still going to get charged interest, even if it's on a payment plan. And so there's no reason to go through the added headache and expense of setting up the payment plan if you're going to be able to knock this out pretty quick. Now, if you do need to set up a payment plan, a payment plan can be really nice because what I want to do is I want to make sure that I fix the problem going forward. Hey, I screwed up. I didn't set money aside. Now that I listen to Hunt's episode, I'm going to be an expert. I'm never going to get into this case again. But what do I do with this old balance due? 
I want to pay it down, but if I pay it down in the next six months, that means I'm going to be behind on the upcoming year's taxes and be in the same boat. So what I want to do there is set up a longer term payment plan with the IRS. They can actually take a payment up to like 10 years. So they'll take a pretty long repayment. Now, the big thing here is keep in mind $50,000. $50,000 is the magic number with the IRS and some states as well, where it gets exponentially harder if you owe them more than $50,000. If you owe the other IRS under $50,000, a lot of these payment plans are automated. They don't want to see financials. They want to see bank statements. You say, hey, I owe you fifty grand. i am going to pay back over five years, $1,000 a month. We're going to be done. They're probably going to accept that and move on with their life. If you owe them a hundred or two hundred thousand, you can still get a payment plan, but they're going to want to see a lot more information and the payment plan is going to be a lot more expensive to set up. And let's say that you owe them fifty five thousand dollars. A lot of times what happens is we give them like five grand up front to get that balance below 50 because it makes it a lot easier to set up the payment plan. And once you're on a payment plan, it's essentially like you're a taxpaying citizen. The IRS and the state does not take active collections against you. Even though you owe them taxes, you're in a payment arrangement, so you're all good. You can tell banks, you can tell anyone that you are current on your taxes because officially you are current as long as you're under a current payment plan. Now, if you're on a payment plan, you're not only agreeing that you're going to pay this amount every single month, you're also agreeing that you're going to stay current with your taxes going forward. So make sure that you are fixing the problem. Make sure you're setting this money aside so that you don't fall short again. Because let's say that you set up a payment plan right now and in 12 months you miss it and you're short against next year on taxes. Not only do you owe for those taxes, but the IRS is also going to call your payment plan and say, hey, you defaulted on this. Not only do you pay us this owe us this year's taxes, you owe us the balance from your payment plan because we stopped your payment plan. Now, you can go back and get another payment plan, but after a couple of these times, the IRS will actually stop giving you payment plans. Hey, we're not going to give you a payment plan, hunt. You get one every single year. You default the following year. We're not actually paying this down. You're not fixing the problem. The IRS, if they see that you fixed the problem, hey, I increased my withholding. Hey, I started paying quarterlies. They're going to be much more likely to work with you. Now, like I said before, it can be paid back over 10 years, but don't try and stretch this out too far because it's pretty expensive. The IRS doesn't have the most expensive interest rates and some of the penalties go away if you are on a payment plan, but still going to probably cost you about 10% a year, right? So don't just think, oh, it's not cost me anything. No, every single month, every single day, it's accruing interest at about 10%. At the end of the day here, the goal should not be to eliminate all taxes, but to eliminate the surprise of taxes. And if you're aware of your tax bill and you have the money set aside and you know that you have done everything possible to smartly lower your tax bill, you've done your job as a business owner. But getting behind on taxes can not only be extremely stressful, but can easily be the downfall of even the most successful businesses. So hopefully with these tools and tips, you have a better understanding about why we set aside money for taxes but also some easier and more effective ways to do it. Please share this with friends. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. 
His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.